Good morning to you all. I have heard a rumor this week that 80% of Grand Prairie was sick, but uh, by our tenants, I think we're okay. Although I did wake up this morning with the flu, and so I have a bottle of water and just in case I get too dried out. And uh, have you ever sat there and thought, I wonder if the pastor ever gets sick? You know, I was thinking about for 28 years of preaching, I have only ever missed one Sunday morning. And uh, I have discovered something over the years that if I have gaps, and I'm talking about gaps that are no fault of my own, I've done my preparation, I stand up here and I preach, God fills in the blanks. And I can come feeling a little bit under the weather, knowing with confidence that God will fill in the blanks. And so I ask you this morning, have you come expecting? Not a perfect performance, not a guy who's not sick, sick, but have you come expecting to hear from God? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as I'm feeling a little under the weather, <laughs> I probably will be able to check our online attendance and see that it's up. And uh, God, I know that we have about 100 a week that watch online, and I'd be curious to feel if, or see if that's up this morning. And I just pray, God, as uh, I do deliver your message that you've given me, that you, I know God, will fill in the blanks. And that this Christmas season will be a season of waiting, a season of inclusion, a season of expecting you, Jesus Christ, in every area of our lives. We come before you this morning and we say, please, God, speak to us, especially if somebody's soul is dry this morning. Would you please speak to them? In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, I was thinking about the whole concept or the title this morning, Waiting for Jesus, and I remembered, I was, I was thinking, when, when was probably the time in my life where I had the most excitement? Now, yes, it was going to Bible college, the first sermon I preached, leading somebody to Christ, those were unbelievable things, but I thought about a time when I was just turning over 40. Now, my wife and I have always lived in church-owned houses, and uh, just as we turned over 40, uh, we were living in a church-owned house, and we thought, well, we need to start building up a little bit of equity. So I got the bright idea, cooking up in my mind, that we could buy a cabin at a lake. Now, in Saskatchewan at that time, they were giving away cabins, literally, and we had gone down to Buffalo Pound Lake, and we had driven around a cabin for sale. We'd walked around it, but we couldn't go in. It was locked. And uh, so then I went to the bank, and I remember, okay, God, if you want me to get this. And I can remember the bank manager that I was meeting with. It was a little credit union in a little town. He kept looking at my finances, what I get paid, and what I wanted to borrow. And he goes, I, I, there, I, I can't lend you this money. I just shouldn't be doing this. And I, I looked at him, and I said, well, like, don't do anything illegal. And he was like, no, no, I won't. But I walked out of there that day with a little bit of a mortgage that I needed to buy that cabin. But the exciting part was we now knew after I got the mortgage that we could buy this cabin, and we hadn't seen the inside yet. And if you talk to realtors, they won't let you go anywhere near the property, right, until you actually have possession. So at 12 p.m., 12 a.m. at midnight, we got possession. So we drove three hours to Buffalo Pound Lake from Looseland, Saskatchewan, 
And I remember the anticipation, the excitement, those three weeks was unbelievable. We were so thrilled. And, and my kids were quite a bit, they were like 10, 12, 13 years old. And I remember us driving up to the property, it was dark out. I remember us taking the key at 12.01 and unlocking the door and opening it up. And all of our dreams, all of our uh, wishes had come true. It was a fully furnished cabin and it even ended up being way better in a lot of ways and not as good as we hoped in other ways. I remember especially the little furry animals we inherited, little mice. And my wife the next day really appreciated the snake she found outside. And if you know my wife, she doesn't like snakes much. Snakes, alligators, sharks, that kind of stuff. She doesn't like them too much. And uh, so we were just so excited though. So thrilled with anticipation. And as we looked last week, Malachi, the very last few verses that we read, there was a 400-year wait. In other words, if you read right from the book of Genesis to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, they are mostly prophetic words spoken by God through his prophets to the people of Israel And it really was God's dealing with mankind, God's plan with mankind. And within those words, there was prophecies of a Messiah coming. So when Malachi penned his words, there was 400 years of silence. I thought about that this week. And I thought if I was, you know, back in the Old Testament, there was people that lived to eight, 900 years old, And if I had to wait for 400 years for something, let's say it was my cabin, if I had to wait for 400 years for something, how would I fare? Would my goal, my purpose, my life still move in that direction? Would I still carry on? Now, we know from some of the history of Israel they really did start to forget a little bit who they were. In fact, when Jesus showed up on the scene, there wasn't a lot of anticipation, and they kind of got it completely wrong by then. Why and what Jesus was coming to do. In their minds, Roman was ruling them, and the Messiah was going to come and kick the Romans out. (coughs) They were going to have a government, (coughs) That was going to expand throughout all the earth. I mean, they they completely got the prophecies wrong. Now, can you blame them after 400 years? We have eight days before Christmas. And last week and the week before, I said it is my goal that when you wake up Christmas morning, you open your eyes and you say to yourself, before you think about the presents, the food, and the family, you open your eyes and you say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If we do not have a a, a sense of expectation, a a sense of waiting, a, a sense of inclusion of Jesus in every part of our life, we are going to lose focus. And the scriptures are full of all sorts of warnings. Let me explain this a little bit better. Point number one. We must have expectation. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 puts it this way. Now, Luke chapter 8, verse 40, Jesus has been wandering around in different towns and communities, and he has been in Capernaum, 
and then he leaves and he comes back. And he had already built up a bit of a reputation, but listen to verse 40 and what it says. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. It wasn't just a couple of people, but a crowd with anticipation, with excitement. They welcomed Jesus. Listen to the explanation. For they were expecting him. Friends, I want it to be clear this morning as we go through the scriptures that if you are not expecting Jesus to show up on a Sunday morning when you show up at church, if you are not expecting Jesus to show up in your checkbook, if you're not expecting Jesus to show up in the car you buy, if you're not expecting Jesus to show up at your job, if you're not expecting Jesus to show up in your life, then you may be in danger now. But do we, like the people of Capernaum, gladly receive him? And are we all waiting for him? Rich are the promises in the scriptures made to those who faithfully wait for him. Listen to these words from the Bible. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Or these words, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him. Or these words, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I love the parable of the bridesmaids that Jesus told it kind of encapsulates everything that I believe the scriptures are speaking to us this morning. In Matthew chapter 25, verse one, Jesus' words. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise, and let me ask you which camp you are parked in. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil, olive oil, for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please, give us some of your oil because, give us some, I got myself lost. Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied. They weren't being mean in this reply, by the way. We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. You see the ones that were waiting and ready and the ones that were foolish? And Jesus answers in verse 12, 
Well, the Lord answers. But he called back. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. If you, friends, if I, friends, do not have a heart of expectation of Jesus involved in my life, if I don't have my olive jar full, if you have your thoughts focused on other things all the time, if your expectation is only half full like the uh, bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom, if you're half-heartedly including Jesus in your life, like a, a little bit of an add-on now and again, you show up at church sometimes, you, friends, are in danger of Jesus declaring, believe me, I don't know you. Friends, don't get the passages wrong. Don't get Jesus' intent wrong. It isn't that Jesus minds you having a job or saving money or buying stuff. What Jesus is concerned about is your heart. What is capturing your heart? And point number two, we need and must have a heart of reception for Jesus. You may or may not know, but Jesus is a gentleman. He will not force his love or salvation or want to be included in your life. He's not going to force that, but he wants you to invite him. And according to the scripture, either you know him or you don't, and it shows up. John 1.12, which is often quoted in evangelistic services, I think encapsulates or says it all. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It is that simple. Jesus, honestly, he warned us that, that lukewarm Christians run some serious risk. In fact, uh, it is said in the scriptures that it'll be spit out of God's mouth. Again, don't misunderstand. He doesn't mind you having stuff. What he cares about as we come to this communion table is your heart. Even while warning about the love of money, in 1 Timothy chapter 10, or chapter 6, verse 10, and this is New Living Translation, Jesus warning us through Timothy. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It isn't the root of evil. There's nothing wrong with having money, but it depends what has captured your heart. It, it can be the roots of all kind of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the truth, from the true faith, and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Where is your heart this morning? You've been waiting a long time. But do you have a heart of expectation where you expect Jesus to show up in your life? I mean, he hasn't returned. We're, we're in this sinful world. And honestly, life gets in the way or, or life crowds us out or, or time moves on. And so often, that which we think is most dear and important to us, we begin to push to the side as the tyranny of the urgent of, of literally trying to get food for the next day or the next holiday to Florida, whatever it might be, it begins to grab and take hold of our heart and pull us away from Jesus. Listen carefully to this warning, especially at Christmas in Luke chapter 12. Now, if anybody's been reading through Luke from December 1st to the 24th, 24 chapters in Luke, 
I read this a few days ago in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told him this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be, listen to this, whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. I met a family years ago, and I got to know them quite well. In fact, the father in the home I would call a godly man who loved Jesus intensely and deeply. Every year at Christmas time, though, he would go into this really weird, I want to call it a Scroogeness. He would get angry. He'd get upset. He would spend all of his time in his bedroom. And after about three or four years of this, because I noticed the children in his home were they, they actually didn't like Christmas. They dreaded it because of the way their dad behaved. And I finally encouraged one day, said to the man, I said, why do you act like this at Christmas? Now understand, his answer shocked me, and especially when you think this is a godly man who gave everything up for Jesus on so many levels. And he looked me in the eye with a little bit of a sheepish look, and he said, I get so depressed because I can't buy the presents I wished I could for my kids. This is a godly man. Where was the foundation of Jesus at Christmas? He still had this little holdout area in his life that Jesus wasn't in. There was no expectation, no waiting for Christmas, for Jesus to show up at Christmas. In all honesty, if I was to give you access to my bank account statement, my Visa, my MasterCard, and in fact, I originally had them. I was going to display them up on the screen. I was going to say, tell me, where is my heart? So if I looked at your bank statement and your MasterCard or Visa, where would I see your heart is? I mean, I'll argue that how you spend your money and what you do for your money and how much you've piled up and all those kind of things, are, are you giving, would I, would I see some check written out to a little orphan lady or a, or a single mom? Would, would I see an offering to the church? Would I, would I see an offering to our faith and deed ministry? Would, would I see the Salvation Army included? Or would it just be Amazon? Amazon. Okay, that's my bank account. Amazon. My wife's threatened to take Amazon off, the app off my phone. Where's your heart?
Are the areas in your life expecting Jesus? Remember John 1.12? Yet to all who did receive him, to all who did receive him, are you expecting and receiving Jesus? Secondly, did you realize that receiving him will make you rich towards God? I buried my father 11 years ago and I buried my mom a year ago. A week ago I was in Fort St. John and my wife asked me, would you like to drive past your old house? It's a house I grew up in, moved in there in 1965 and I couldn't bring myself to do it. We've sold the house, somebody else owns it. All the stuff's been moved out, given away, sold, whatever it is. Bank accounts are empty. Have you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes lately? You think you're getting somewhere but piling and focusing on all the stuff you have? Do you realize how much burden it is to your kids to get rid of all that stuff? I'm just saying. Where are you rich towards? Are, are you rich towards yourself and your ego? Or are you rich towards God? Are you going to be spewed out like lukewarm water? Luke 12, 21, this is how it will be. Whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So we here we have a communion table. And it's interesting because the Corinthian church, as far as we can piece together through some historical stuff and what Paul wrote, they had communion. It was called a love feast. And uh, one of the problems they had, as you read Paul, is uh, people would come early and eat all the food. Now it was a remembrance of Jesus, but it just turned into something else. And those that were late wouldn't get anything. And so he kind of corrected them. And in fact, he gave instructions on how to take communion, and we'll read that in a moment. But after he gave the instructions, he had this bit of a warning to them. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28, we read, everyone, everyone sitting here, everybody online listening, ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Why? For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. In other words, if you're going through the motions of life and Jesus is just a little add-on, you've got a little bit of oil in your lamp, your bank account tells a tale and a story that is far from Christian at all, then I want to give you a warning this morning. You need to examine yourself. And if you take communion in an unworthy manner, you literally, an unworthy manner means Jesus isn't an expectation to you in your life. Jesus isn't somebody that you live all out for. Oh, don't get me wrong, I'm far from perfect. I went through that fruit of the Spirit and every week I got challenged in some area of my life, more than I've ever been. These words may seem harsh, but... Think about the truths that we've just read through. 
If we do not let Jesus into all the areas of our lives, we will not be rich towards God. Examining ourselves before communion is an opportunity to ask the third person of the Trinity, who Jesus in John chapter 15 said, I need to go so the Holy Spirit could come. He's going to counsel you. He's going to talk to you. And how often do we actually get quiet for a moment and say, okay, look at all my life, Jesus. I mean, open up your bank account. Think about the stuff you have, the cabin you have. Like Now, my wife and I, we had to ask questions about our cabin. What's our cabin for? And it was for us to go and spend time with our family, but we actually lent it out all summer long if we could. Well, did we get taken advantage of? I don't know. I never kept track of that because I wanted it to glorify God. I was all in, and everything I had, I want Jesus to be reflected in it. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, as the elders come down now, I want to just ask Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, who is our counselor and our guide, would you help us to do an honest examination of our lives? Do we have a divided mind? Do, do we have money and we're holding it and we're, 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 we've got a harvest and we're building the bigger barns and we're, we're forgetting those who are less fortunate in our midst? Those widows and single moms and we're forgetting about even the people that have, through often bad choices of their own, they're, they're living on the streets. And, and God, we have forgotten about those in other countries who are suffering in drought and famine. And God, we have forgot about your work in your kingdom, whether, whether it's an international worker that the church is supporting that we promise to help, or, or whatever it might be. God, would you please reveal and examine our whole lives and so that when we take communion, when we eat the bread, when, when the bread representing your body and we, we swallow it down and it, it infuses and infects into every part of our being, may that be a picture to us of how you, Jesus, we, we have an expectation that you'll be everywhere in our lives. And as we drink the cup representing the blood that you poured out at 33 years of goal, old age, in your prime of life, you gave everything. You are such a generous God, such a, a loving God. And, and your DNA, your generosity, it, it is supposed to infuse us how many warnings did you give us, Jesus, both in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and through the Gospels, the Apostle Paul, and, and other writings, even going back into Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, all the times that the nation of Israel would, would turn on their own ways and, and do their own thing, and, and the calamities that would fall upon them. I think of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts who didn't have to sell land and give it all to the church, but they actually played a game and, and tried to play the religious, uh, look how holy we are, we're, we're giving everything to the Lord, and yet they actually were holding some back. And you came in judgment on them. We know, God, that you're a loving God and your, your patience is so great, but forgive us when we don't realize that uh, you want all of our lives 
You want to bless us. You want to bring us joy. You want to bring us peace. And yet we chase after things that moth and rust eat. We chase after things that our children have to sell and get rid of once we die. God, forgive us for trying to build up and grow in our hearts in areas that we just shouldn't. We haven't been very good at waiting. We haven't been very good at expecting you in every area of our lives. So as we come before you in this communion table, as the elders pass out the elements, God, as, as we're waiting for the elements, as we hold the element and we're waiting for an elder to pray for it and to tell us to eat it, God, uh, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? And God, you're not asking anybody here to sell everything and give to the poor, but you are asking for our hearts. May our lives reflect that. May our things towards God, our, our oil lamp be overflowing. And God, I, I happen to know when I've seen it over and over again in my own life and others, when people are rich towards God, there is a smile on their face and it doesn't matter the circumstances they go through. It doesn't matter whether they can buy presents for the kids at Christmas. Thank you, Jesus, for your word and for your warnings and for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.